Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Chair 90 Body Burn 30 Support Call. This call happens Monday through Friday at this time, which for me is 6.40 in the morning, Pacific time. It's 7.40 Mountain Time, 8.40 Texas Time, and 9.40 Michigan and East Coast Time. Thrilled to have you along with us. And if you ever miss these calls, you can pick them up on Sound, S-O-U-N-D, Cloud, C-L-O-U-D. Put in Frank, F-R-A-N-K, Lomas, L-O-M-A-S, and TR90, and they will pop up, and they're now archived back nine-plus years. If you get your podcast through um, Apple service or some other podcast service, if you put in Frank Lomas and TR90, they could well pop up, or Frank Lomas and Solutions, the digit four, anti-aging, they could well pop up as well. Frank says he's been seeing those pop up in other places, and it's always a great thing when they do because that means we have more access points. With that being said, for those of you that do not know who I am, I'm Susan Mann out of Portland, Oregon, welcoming you to this call. I come to you with an education background in that I'm a substitute teacher and have a huge interest in both health, nutrition, and exercise due to I had grandparents when I was in high school that were not in the best of health with both heart disease and diabetes, and I knew I didn't want to travel down some of the paths that they've traveled down, so I've done my best to um, look at things that would help prevent that. Since I kind of don't want to give myself shots, and I don't want to necessarily die of heart disease or have heart issues. So I've done a lot of things over the years to help prevent that. So TR90 program, when you are first starting out, It is that one really good clean, lean meal a day, two shakes a day, three snacks a day, taking your supplements 15 to 20 minutes before a meal, if at all possible. If it's not possible, take it with your meal. It'll still work, just not quite as effective as it would if you were taking it 15 to 20 minutes beforehand, which gives gives your body a chance to get it into the system so that it's more effective. Staying hydrated, the current thinking is at least one ounce of water for every two pounds you weigh. So if you weigh 100 pounds, you should be drinking a minimum of 50 ounces of water daily. However, if you're exercising heavily or if you are in a very humid area and you're losing body fluids, it is you'll need to increase that significantly to offset what you're losing uh, through perspiration. And if you're losing a lot through perspiration, your body doesn't seem to be holding on to the water, if you take just the tiniest pinch of sea salt and drop it into an 8-ounce glass of water and drink that, that will help your body hold on to some of the fluid so that you stay hydrated. Should be eating a minimum of 7-plus servings of fruits and vegetables daily. That gives you micronutrients macronutrients, and the closer to the original state of the fruit or vegetable, the more fiber you are likely to have because fiber is something that's really key. Guys should be getting about 45 grams of fiber daily, and women should be getting, I believe it's about 40 grams of fiber daily. 
that helps keep things moving through your system at a regular pace and um, overall fiber is really good for you. It does a multitude of things going through the digestive tract. Seven to nine hours of sleep daily is also another one of those key things that um, your body does a lot of system resets while you're sleeping, but getting adequate sleep means that your brain is working at peak performance, also means that you're able to make really good decisions rather than uh, being sleep-deprived and making not-so-great decisions. And that is one of, one of the things I highly recommend that you take a look at is making sure you're getting adequate sleep. 30 minutes of moderate to heavy exercise at least five days a week. And if you're like Frank, then you're over 1,400 days of hashtag no days off. And once you get into a good habit like that, good idea to just keep rolling with it because exercise helps keep your brain active, keeps connections going. And there is just a multitude of things that those that the exercise does, besides helping you stay young, fit, and healthy. With that being said, I'm always looking for information to share with you that will help support our TR90 lifestyle. And today's information is coming out of a book that's called Fat Chance. Beating the Odds Against Sugar, Processed Food, Obesity, and Disease. It was written by Robert H. Lustig, M.D., M.S.L. And Lustig is spelled L-U-S-T-I-G. And so we're still in a call for global sugar reduction. And the section we're starting now is actually about the restriction of access Throughout this book, I've hammered, and that means Dr. Lustig, one issue time and again, control the environment. Nothing reduces sugar consumption better than reducing sugar availability. And that means restricting access, especially to children. We've been largely successful with alcohol. Why not sugar? Hmm. Successful alcohol control strategies restrict accessibility to purchase such as reducing the hours retailers are open, controlling the location, and the density of retail markets, as well as limiting who can legally purchase the alcohol. A reasonable parallel for sugar would be tightening licensing requirements on vending machines and snack bars that sell sugary products in schools and workplaces. Many schools have removed soda from vending machines, but, the, but usually replace them with juice and sports drinks, which are no better. Reduction in the number and density of convenience schools or stores that sell alcohol clearly cuts down on the consumption, especially in poor neighborhoods. Similarly, states could apply zoning ordinances to control the number of fast food outlets and convenience stores in low-income communities, and especially around schools, while providing incentives for the establishment of grocery stores and farmers markets. 
They could also apply zoning ordinances to inconvenience the food trucks that are multiplying like flies outside of schools during lunchtime and after the bell rings, targeting our children. Um, another option would be to limit the sales in stores during times of school operation so kids wouldn't, couldn't buy a soda on the way home. One would expect the kids who walk to school would have lower BMIs because they exercise. Wrong. My colleague, Christine Madsen, showed that the kids who walk to school have higher BMIs because they are stopping to buy soda and chips. Hmm. Lastly, how about an age limit, such as 17, in order to purchase drinks with added sugar? Yes, card kids for Coca-Cola. You've got a problem with that? Store managers already do it for alcohol, and it would cost nothing to implement. If parents want their kids to have a soda, they can buy it for them. Recently, Parents in South Philadelphia took this upon themselves. They formed a posse of lining up outside convenience stores and blocking children from entering these stores after school. Why couldn't a public health directive do the same? Not one, of the, not one to be stymied by the USDA over the 2011 food stamp debacle in June of 2012, Mayor Michael Bloomberg unveiled a bold proposal to eliminate big gulps from the city of New York, a move well within his purview. Will this edict really reduce sugar consumption? What's to prevent people from buying two sodas instead of one? I recall a Bill Dior cartoon from the Dallas Morning News showing a kid at a fast food counter. Before downsizing, he orders a large order of fries. After he orders 16 orders of fries, the libertarians have gone ballistic, decrying that Bloomberg's usurping of personal freedom. Environmentalists are angry, as this may mean more plastic waste. Politicians argue that this will be unwieldy to administer, but if Bloomberg did not, nothing else, he sent a loud and clear message. Public health is a noble cause and one worth fighting for. In order to balance out the U.S. budget, the Farm Bill needs to lose $23 billion, with a B, from its ledger. Crop subsidies account for $6 billion per year, and of that, $3.5 billion goes to corn and $1.6 billion goes to soybeans. Diverting money away from these subsidies is not without its dangers, especially now that we live in a global economy. One product of our corn subsidy is the production of ethanol as an additive for gasoline. But environmentalists have, have railed against this practice for years as it puts more carbon emissions into the atmosphere. There are two types of subsidies, payments to the farmers only when the price of the crop is low to keep them from going out of business, and payments to the farmers based on the performance regardless of the price. Over the five years from 2006 to 2011, 
The price of corn has never been higher, yet the corn subsidy continues unabated. Propping up the consumption of specific foodstuffs with price subsidies is a great way to cause market distortion. If supply and demand work their magic, then stopping a subsidy should raise prices and our food should get more expensive. Is that good or bad? Advocates for the poor would lobby immediately. So would Iowa. But the government and the poor would ultimately save on the subsidy in medical costs and improved worker productivity. One problem with removing these subsidies is that they are unlikely to make a significant difference in the price of junk food. Furthermore, as the poor frequently have limited access to healthy alternatives, they will have to buy junk food even if the price goes up marginally. Taxation proponents favor an excise tax concept because it passes the cost on to industry, which can well afford it. The question is whether it would alter industry's practices. A different line of reasoning suggests that not, it's not the subsidies that overproduce commodity crops and overproduction is not the cause of obesity. Unlike with other industries, agricultural producers do not respond to price signals by reducing the amount of a crop when prices are low. Producers may reduce hired labor, but not production. In an agricultural policy dating back to President Roosevelt's New Deal, the USDA paid farmers not to grow certain crops to prevent overproduction. To keep farms from going out of business, Congress recently approved an annual $20 billion, with a B payment to farmers as a direct subsidy despite the increase in price of all commodities from 2006 through 2011. And no Midwest state will put the brakes on this gravy train if the U.S. completely eliminated all commodity protection and subsidy policies. Very few foods would change the price, change in price, but the one food that would be affected would be sugar with a reduction in production of 33% because of the elimination of the corn subsidy. A reduction in price of 15% because of the end of the sugar tariffs. The point is that even though we pay more for sugar because of the sugar tariffs, we still consume more because sugar's abuse potential. Again, standard economic principles do not apply to addictive substances. There is only one answer that farmers and food industry and the populace can live with differential subsidization instead of subsidizing corn and soy commodity crops that are storable, why can't we subsidize something green? We have the technology to do this. When broccoli and carrots are cheaper than potato chips, then Michael Pollan's thesis on the price of a calorie can be turned around for everyone's benefit. Promotion of high-fiber foods in U.S., low-income programs such as WIC, 
SNAP and NSLP would be the obvious place to start. Furthermore, growing green food means growing local, and it would also make tariffs on imported goods a less important concern because they wouldn't be subsidizing commodities. They would be subsidizing real food. The differential subsidization goes for water as well. In the developing world, the inhabitants have three choices. Drink the dangerous water, buy an in-home chlorination system, or buy, quote, safe sugared beverages made locally by Coke or Pepsi. If the water chlorination system is provided for free, usage is at 80%. If people have to buy it, they drink the sugared beverages instead, which costs more in the long term, both in money and in medical costs. Until potable water is free, the developing world will continue to suffer at the hands of the food industry. Any of these interventions would of necessity require a new business model, one that supports real food over processed food. After all, we need the food industry. We just don't need their current fare. Because high-fiber foods have a limited shelf life, such interventions would have to support local food production and reduced use of antibiotics and pesticides, which have implications for mitigating global warming and environmental pollution. These interventions would require allocating new farmland around the country that could be adapted to grow real food with minimal technological prowess. However, this would, of necessity, require a new delivery and distribution system and new pricing strategies. It would also require changes in marketing, especially to children. As distasteful as it is, such upstream societal interventions can be accomplished only with governmental support. There is no way around it. Reducing sugar consumption will not be easy, particularly in the emerging markets of developing countries where soft drinks are cheaper than milk or potable water. Societal intervention is needed to reduce the supply and eventually demand for sugar. Despite the obvious medical, social, and economic benefits, we face an uphill political battle against a powerful sugar and food processing lobby and against those in government who are already corrupted. Any change will require active engagement from all stakeholders, and that means you, especially you. With enough public clamor, tectonic shifts in policy do become possible. Take, for instance, bans on smoking in public and the use of designated drivers, airbags in cars, and condom dispensers in public bathrooms all unfathomable 30 years ago. Your voice changed the world. It can be a new world yet again. And with that, I'm going to sign us out for today. We'll have Victoria up tomorrow. If you're looking to build a new skin business, scoot over to Facebook One Team Global Live at the top of the hour. This is Susan Mann from Portland, Oregon. 
signing out on March 3rd, 2022. I'm going to take us off mute so we can say goodbye to each other. So there we have it, why we need to really work at getting that sugar out of all of our systems and how we can potentially increase the fiber so that everyone can be healthier. And so since 7 o'clock, oh, you're welcome. I am going to scoot. I've got to go off and teach, um, I forget what I'm teaching today. I'm teaching something. Kids in elementary school, I do know that. (laughs) Take care, one and all. And Victoria will be up tomorrow with a lovely meditation to get our weekend off for a great start. Yes, I will. Okay, guys, have a great day. Bye.